You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. Welcome to this episode of the Faith Roots Podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you today about the importance of relationship as it pertains to the fight of faith. And we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 15, verse 7, New King James Version. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, most people, if they had the opportunity to edit the Word of God, most uh, Christians today, they would say, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what God wills. But that isn't what it says. It says, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. This implies a very close relationship, so close that the believer here is so sensitive to God's will, God's direction, God's purposes, that this believer would not ask anything that is apart from the will of God and would also know something about the generosity of the Father. Now, here's a counterpart verse from the, New, or from the Old Testament. rather. Uh, it's found in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. The idea here is that there is a very close relationship, so close that God trusts us to ask things that we would will. And knowing that because of our closeness to Him and our respect for His Word, that we would never dare to ask anything that was not a part of His will. And that's the idea that's being communicated here. Now, I love the way that Kenneth Wiest, who is a wonderful, wonderful New Testament scholar, I love the way he comes across with this in the book of uh, John chapter 15, And I'm going to read the Weiss translation of John 15, where he says, Maintain a living communion with me, and I with you, just as the branch is unable to be bearing fruit from itself. And that's a little clumsy in English, but that's an accurate translation of the Greek. It's a continuous action verb. Be bearing fruit from itself as a source unless it remains in a living union with the vine. So neither you unless you maintain a living communion with me. Now, I love this because he talks about abiding in words that maybe are a little easier to understand. He calls abiding a living communion with me. Uh, Communion is a very, very important word. Uh, As for myself, I am the vine. As for you, you're the branches. He who maintains a living communion with me and I with him, this one is bearing much fruit. Because apart from me, you're not able to be doing anything. If anyone is not maintaining a living communion with me, he was thrown outside as the branch is and was caused to wither. Now let's skip a clause there and I want to go to the last part. If you maintain a living communion with me, 
and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once for something for yourself, whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. In this way, my Father is glorified, namely, that you are bearing much fruit. So here's the idea. The idea is there's a place in God where when we develop a relationship with Him, and it's a twofold description. Number one, it talks about relationship with the person, the character of God. But then he talks about how this works. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And that's how we know that someone has a deeply personal relationship with God. The words of God are abiding in them. In other words, you can say all you want to that you're close to God, but if you have no regard for His words, it doesn't matter. It's not a real relationship. The test of a relationship with God is the regard that you have for His words. How much time do you spend thinking about His words? Do you study that? Is it something that you go after? Now... I want to say this. Nobody, no believer starts out with a deep hunger for the words of God the way that you ultimately will develop that. It's a cultivated hunger. And uh, I, I you know, read a little bit of Scripture when I first began to study uh, the Word of God, when I first began my relationship and walk with Christ. I didn't devour chapters every day. I didn't understand a lot of what I read. But I was hungry for the key things that I needed to know. And I knew that I needed to know those things. And so I developed this hunger as I went along. And it, the more I fed, the more I wanted, and the more I dug, and, and so forth. And my confidence in God rose sharply because the effect of the Word gave me confidence to ask for things that I knew would be in keeping with God's will. Now, natural development for food is a good way to understand how we grow in our hunger for God. In other words, uh, when, when you are little, uh, you have to be fed. You rely on someone else feeding you. Even once you learn to feed yourself and you want to take control, I've got a little grandson who's not quite uh, 10 months old. He loves to take control of his food. He does not want uh, someone else spoon feeding him. He wants to eat his food. He digs his fingers into everything. And uh, so it doesn't take long before uh, a little child takes uh, control of their feeding. They want the power of the spoon. Uh, but what happens is he still doesn't have the power to prepare his food. He's still very much dependent on someone else putting the food before him. Uh, now, of all of my kids, the, the one that, that showed the greatest desire for this was my son Gabe. Gabe was a little bit stockier than the, uh, the others of my uh, kids, and uh, Gabe was just obsessed with food as a little boy. When Whit was drawing pictures of uh, clowns, cowboys and Indians, basketball players, when Whit was drawing those kinds of pictures, horses, cows, all those kinds of things, Gabriel was drawing pictures of pies and cakes. And we would come by and say, Gabe, what is that? He'd say, it's a pie. And I <laughs> never, I'd never been around a little guy. I'd never seen that before uh, uh, who wanted to draw pictures of pies and cakes. But he loved food. He was thinking about food. Uh, my mother-in-law was babysitting the kids, and we came home from whatever 
it was we were doing. And she said, uh, Gabriel slid down the front stairs while ago. And he said, Granny, did you see me sliding down those stairs like a pork chop? Now, I have never thought about putting those two things together, but apparently Gabriel did. So he was always thinking about uh, food. Uh, but he had to have help. And as he got a little older, he was the one of our kids who showed the uh, desire to do some cooking. I remember he would go to the store and buy chicken breasts because he was determined to eat healthy, and he would do uh, chicken breasts in the oven and prepare those for himself. Uh, you know, my son Whit, he would order pizza, but that's as far as his culinary um, uh, efforts went. Uh, but Gabriel was willing to to learn something about food. Now, we have a ranch where we host pastors and leaders, and, and Gabriel helps me at that ranch. And uh, the other day I went in early, and he was pinch-hitting for someone who normally prepares breakfast. And I went in, and Gabriel had this amazing spread laid out, and he was preparing all these different things for breakfast and I looked at this and I thought, wow, where did he learn this? But I could understand why it would have come. It's because he had a desire to learn how to feed when he was a little guy. And now it's developed into a, he's a pretty good cook. So what I want you to see is a large percentage of believers never develop like that. They never develop in the ability to feed themselves. They want to eat, but they don't know how to feed themselves. And learning how to feed yourself is a huge part of your walk with God. And so when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, in essence, he's saying, you're going to have to learn to feed yourself. Now, this doesn't start with meat. It starts with milk. And I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Uh, Wherefore, having put away once and for all every wickedness and every craftiness and hypocrisies and envies and all slanderings as newborn infants do, intensely yearn for the unadulterated spiritual milk in order that by it you may be nourished and make progress in your salvation in view of the fact that you have tasted that the Lord is kind, loving, and benevolent toward whom we are constantly drawing near. Uh, King James says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In other words, we start out with milk. And it's very simple. It's easy to digest. It's, it's not difficult. And, and so when you begin your study of Scripture, read the milk verses. Uh, I think the Gospels fit that. Now, there are lots of things in the Gospels that are really deep. But just on the surface, though, you'll still get great benefit reading the Gospels. It'll help you see the character and nature of God, the, the, the general dispensation that the Father has uh, toward people, how much He cares for us. You see that care in the way Jesus dealt with people. When you get into the epistles, it becomes a little bit more difficult. This is where the meat is pursued. and But eventually... You'll learn how to eat that meat, but it starts with loving the milk. And uh, you will find God to be loving and kind and benevolent when you go after the milk. Now, no child of God becomes an accomplished student overnight. Uh, we have the desire to feed ourselves, uh, but you have to begin that. And as you feed yourself, the ability to graduate to deeper and deeper subjects will be easier. Abiding, then, means that we have a living communion. 
Now, the word communion, according to the dictionary, is an act of sharing one's thoughts and emotions with another or others. Intimate converse. Living means that this exercise is imbued with eternal life. For seeing what says living communion, that means that what you're doing with God here is bringing life to you. It's not death. This is, this is not taking you down. It's not leading you to discouragement. It's not leading you to depression. Living communion is lifting you up. And this is what I find. When I begin to dig in the Word, I come out of it energized. I, I may have gone into it a little bit down. I can't come out of it a little bit down. I come out of it energized and full of faith. And so that's what living communion means. It is a power transfer. And not only is it a power transfer, it is a will transfer. In other words, when I begin to meditate God's Word, my will becomes more like His will. I see the heart of the Father. I want the things that the Father wants. I want the things that Jesus wants. And that's why He can say to me that He trusts me Ask anything that you will, and it will be done for you. But he doesn't say that to people who are casually engaging him in fellowship and casually approach the Word. These are people who are eating up the Word all the time. You reach a point where you have supreme confidence in your ability to ask God, and you know He's going to hear you. Now, here is an Old Testament counterpart verse. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's twofold. Number one, your desires are God's desires. He plants desires in you. But when you desire those desires, he makes those things come to pass. So it's got a dual meaning. Not only does he give you the desire, but he grants the desire. And so this all starts by you and I delighting in the Lord. And when we do that, He gives us the desires of our heart. Now, the last thing that we said, and I want to go back to it here because it's fabulous. He said, if you maintain a living communion with me and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your heart desires, and it will become yours. Now listen to this. In this my Father is glorified, namely that you are bearing much fruit. He's talking about bearing fruit in prayer. And he's saying that one of the greatest ways to glorify God is to get answers to your prayers. You know, a lot of people have absolutely no faith at all in their own prayers. But God wants you to have faith in your prayers. How do you get there? You delight yourself in His Word. You cannot do that without getting into His presence. And so you fulfill what Jesus said. You're abiding in Him and his words are abiding in you. So you're in a new communion with God, a living communion. When you get to that place, you have confidence to ask. And when you ask with that kind of confidence, guess what happens? The answers come and it causes people around you to see it and know that God is good and it glorifies God. Well, that's all the time that I have for this, but don't forget this. Uh, the fight of faith has a lot to do with our relationship with God. It's not a wand. It's not just a tool. It is a relationship that brings much fruit. That's all the time I have for today, but we'll pick up here tomorrow. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. 
Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.